This week is number 60 in our study of Matthew, lesson number 60. And if you remember last week, we looked at Yeshua's entry into Jerusalem and how the leaders of Israel and the teachers of Israel had missed the hour of their visitation. They rejected Yeshua, even though they saw him ride into Jerusalem just as Zechariah had prophesied even on the very day that Daniel prophesied. And so, of course, if the leaders with their great respect among the people missed it, then, of course, Am Israel, the people of Israel, who would listen to the teachers, they too missed the hour of their visitation. We also took a look at the concept of worship as it's brought forth in the Bible. The word that we translate worship in the Bible never occurs in relationship to songs. The Hebrew word for worship means to prostrate yourself to God, to bend your knee to God, to understand the will of God and then conform your life to that will, forsaking your own. And if you weren't here for the message last week, then you should really get a copy in the Resource Center today because this is kind of a continuation of last week and you really need that information. So, Worship really entails that you find out God's will for your life. And then you conform your life to that will. And I gave an example of that last week as a a kind of a corporate example and talked about it a little bit in the Seder. And that we really need to refocus the ministry to be more sensitive. We need to focus ourselves to be more sensitive to the Jewish people and people at large. And let me show you why, especially for the Jewish people, because Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not become conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and turn godlessness away from Jacob. You know, over the years, I've made no bones about it. The main focus of our ministry here was to enlighten Christians to the truth of the word of God, to put it back into its Hebrew context, because the only way that you can get to the truths of the word of God is to understand those words as they were perceived in the ears of the original hearer. I said uh, at the Seder that To a Hebrew, Greek is Greek. They don't understand the language or the idioms. Well, the inverse is true as well. And part of the problem with our understanding of the Bible is that we fail to put it back into its setting, into the context it was spoken. And we don't understand the same idioms or the language that was used. Because let me tell you just a little secret. The word of God was not originally spoken in Greek or English. It was Hebrew. God did not inspire an Englishman to pen the word of God. It wasn't written to a 21st century American culture either. But to a 1st century and before culture. And if you really want to understand it, you have to read it with that perspective. So that's always been the focus. And it will continue, but we need to also keep pace with God's plan. 
Because just a brief look at the Bible tells us that in these latter days, the focus changes. His focus on the nations sadly comes to an end and he focuses back on his people Israel, the Jewish people. As the time of the Gentiles comes to an end, that's what we just read. And so if we want to continue to be blessed and continue to be in the will of God, we have to keep pace with the will of God. During this time of the Gentiles, about all we could do is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But now that God's focus is changing and his spirit is changing its direction, we need to do more than pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to spread the message of the Prince of Peace to Jerusalem that has been scattered abroad. Because we want Jerusalem and all of Jerusalem to say, Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai. So, so much for the review. If we go back to where we left off in Matthew, it tells us that right after Yeshua's entry, he goes immediately to the temple. And what he does is that he overturns the tables of those exchanging money and those selling doves. Now, remember last week we spoke of worship. And the temple is where the people bowed their knee to God on a corporate level. You see... To worship on a personal level is to bend your knee and fall on your face and do the will of God as we spoke last week. Find out what the will of God for your life is personally and then do that. They did this also by going to the temple at the times prescribed by God in the Torah. For the most part, that would be three times a year. The pilgrim festivals of Passover, Shavuot or Pentecost and Tabernacles. God said, I want you to come up at these three times of the year. And so they bowed their knee and did his will and went to the temple to worship as he prescribed, offered the offerings he prescribed. And they brought the tithe and the temple tax to the temple as he prescribed. You see, but there's a problem. And the problem is that it's possible to do the things God prescribes, like go up to the temple, and yet in your going, you're not really bowing your knee. But you are just doing what traditions dictate. Just doing what your parents did and what everyone else around you does. And yet, really not have your knee bowed. There are many churches, I can tell you, that are nothing more than four dead walls where people go because that's what their fathers did. They do not bow their knee to God, but allow all manner of unclean things to happen within those walls. There are many temples and synagogues that are nothing more than social centers where even the rabbi and in the church, even the pastor, do not believe, really believe, the Bible where even the rabbi and the pastor are, are involved in things that are detestable to God. They too allow things to go on within the walls that would be hardly considered bowing your knee to God. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. There are churches that are little more than major businesses, corporate entities. To say nothing of their services except 
all they preach is what itching ears want to hear because they wouldn't want to disrupt the bottom line. That is the setting for this story. All Israel going up to the temple for Passover. Some are going up because it's what the Jewish people did. Some because it's a great yearly social event. Some are going up for other reasons. Some because it's a business. And they're going up to conduct business. And a few, well, they're going up to worship the Lord, to bow their knee. But there's many others with other things on their mind. That's the setting. Let's read verse 12 of chapter 21. Yeshua entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. As it is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And so Yeshua goes to the temple. There would be throngs of people preparing for Passover. It's the 10th of Nisan when they were to select the lambs for Passover. The lambs for Passover were raised and by the priests in the area around Jerusalem and they, they brought them to Jerusalem for sale. And the more devout would want to purchase their lamb as God prescribed on the 10th day of the month of Nisan and take them home and examine them for four days. And these lambs would be sold near the temple. But as Yeshua enters, he finds commerce going on within the temple confines and he's incensed. You see, what's going on there is a daily event. It wasn't part of this Passover celebration. Doves would have been, not been an offering for Passover. Lambs would have been the offering for Passover and they weren't even sold within the temple confines. He also finds money changers there. And so let's look at the money changers. First, Israel was forbidden to have graven image and the currency of the day was Roman currency and it had the image of Caesar on the coins. And so the people had to when they went up to the temple, exchanged those coins for a temple shekel that had no image on them. You see, this was a pilgrim festival. And the pilgrims that went up, many of them would pay their temple tax. And in order to do that, the Mishnah tells us that the money changers would set up in the temple to exchange the Roman coins for the shekels needed for the tax. And there were those who saw this as a great business opportunity. And Yeshua doesn't state it directly, but what happens is that the priests were charging higher rates of exchange. That's why he calls them a den of robbers. He also takes exception to those selling doves. Selling doves for offerings, we don't completely understand it unless we understand it in the context of Leviticus chapter 5. And verse 7 and 8, which I'll read for you. It says, If he cannot afford a lamb, he is to bring two doves or two pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for his sin, one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. He is to bring them to the priest who shall first offer one for a sin offering. And so what I want you to understand is that the doves were an offering that was for the most part brought by the poor. The Torah requires that you bring the very best that you could afford. And so if you were rich, if you had money, you'd bring a lamb. But if you were poor, like Leviticus says, you would bring doves or pigeons. And so the merchants, who I might add were the priests, were taking advantage of the poor by charging too much for the birds. Curiously, the Mishnah records a similar event 
And Gamaliel's response, and I put it up here for you, a pair of birds in Jerusalem went up in price to a golden dinar. And Rabban Gamaliel said, By this sanctuary I shall not rest tonight until they shall be at silver dinar. And a pair of birds stood on that very day at a quarter dinar, each one hundredth of the former price. So the poor, to include the widows and the orphans, are being taken advantage of, and Yeshua is indignant about it. And he overturns the tables and he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, if you study the second temple, you'll understand by this statement exactly where it's taking place. It's taking place in the court of the Gentiles, just a little ways from the royal stoa. And this is where, this area of the temple confine is the part that was added by Herod. And not part of the original temple mount. But the whole of the mountaintop was built up with a retaining wall to make the platform on top much larger. And this expansion was not considered holy as the original mount. These were areas of least or little sanctity. And it was called the court of the Gentiles. And so in the court of the Gentiles, Yeshua overturns the tables. And in the process, he quotes quotes Isaiah 56, which is a passage about Gentiles, curiously enough. It says this in verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, I will bring these to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then he says, but you have made it a den of robbers, likely quoting Jeremiah chapter 7, but clearly stating that what they were doing was robbing those who had come up to pay the temple tax and the poor who were buying offerings. Now, I want you to understand something since we're in the season of Passover. You don't have to listen to many Christian teachers at this time of year who are going to tell you that the troubles that came upon Israel and the destruction of the temple were because of the rejection of Messiah. And I'm not going to argue that with you. But let me say this. If that is what you think, you only have a very small part of the picture. There was also a reason for that rejection. Like a disease, the rejection was a symptom of a greater problem. The rejection of Messiah happened because of the corruption in Israel, particularly in Jerusalem. We have a greater part of the picture in Matthew this week. We can understand the greater part. And there's also something here to understand for our own lives. Let's go to Luke for part of the problem and part of the rejection. He says in chapter 20, verse 45, While all the people were listening, Yeshua said to his disciples, Beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and to have the most important seats in the synagogues. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished severely. See what it says? The priests and the leaders of the people were taking advantage of the poor, of the widows, who came to make their meager offering 
They took advantage of those who came with their knee bowed to pay the temple tax in obedience to God. And all the while, praying prayers to be heard by men because God certainly wasn't listening. You see, they hadn't read Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Torah, or Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22, verse 6 says, See how each of the princes of Israel who are in you uses his power to shed blood. In you they have treated father, mother with contempt. In you they have oppressed the alien, mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and desecrated my Sabbaths. Now, I want you to keep this verse at the forefront of your mind. You see, Ezekiel had warned the people about this very thing. And there's nothing new under the sun. Israel of the first century, the leaders of Israel for the most part were wealthy, the priests were wealthy, and they were very content. They didn't even want Messiah to come because Messiah coming was going to upset their apple cart. So when it came to the worship of God and the bending of knee, Israel was going through the motions. That's why Yeshua will later say in chapter 23, he'll say this, Woe to you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut up the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. He says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And woe to you teachers of the law, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. And so that's what we're looking at in first century Israel. But I want you to understand there's nothing new under the sun. Because if you ask many Christians, if they want Messiah to come, they'll say, oh, oh, maybe not right now. I want to do this first. I want to have children first. All manner of reasons. Well, Israel's the same. There's nothing new under the sun. You see, here are some of the other reasons judgment came. Because there was a cause for the rejection of Messiah. They rejected Messiah long before they actually rejected him. You see, they rejected him by loving the world. So those for those who wanted to bend their knee, for those who wanted to go to the temple and corporately bend their knee, Israel had become a place where the devout and the widows and the people in general were taken advantage of by the very ones appointed and anointed by God to help them draw closer to him. You see, Israel was a spiritual wasteland, a desert, where the devout had to survive. And when it came to the worship of God, the temple too was a wasteland. Not only that, it's going to get worse. And the reason is simple. They reject Messiah. Listen to what he says in John chapter 7 and verse 38. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. You see, as he'll say in chapter 8 in a, in a roundabout way, they have forsaken the fountain of living water. If you go to look at the church today, you're going to find that we have the very same disease. For those who want to worship, 
those who want to bend their knee. The church in our society is a wasteland. It's a desert. And it's for the very same reasons. You know, when Terry and I went to Israel, I think I told you last night, the whole of the land was in bloom. Nearly everywhere we went, we could see God's blessing on the land of Israel. The Galilee was filled within two feet of normal after years of being meters below normal. And it was full because of all the rain that had happened in the land. And because of that same rain, all of Israel was in bloom. You know, I've been there many times in the spring before, and it was never like this. When Terry and I would go somewhere we'd been before, we marveled at how we barely recognized the place. The Golan, which was a, which was a desert, was wheat fields. And then one day we went to Sed Bokar in the wilderness of what's called Zin. And I put a slide up here. Terry took a picture of Sed Bokar. And as you can see, it's a wasteland. There's nothing blooming there in this desert. This was first century Israel. And not just first century Israel, but this country and our church as well. This church in this country. Israel then was not, and we are not now, a place blessed by God any longer. But it was a place overrun by Gentiles because of the rejection of Messiah and all the disease that led to his rejection. Soon after his departure, the whole of the land will be even more desolate and even more overrun by heathens. That was Israel after the rejection. And it is the church in this nation today as well. We have the same problems. However, I want you to notice, if you look real close at that picture, there's a small strip of green running across the picture. One small little strip where the desert is in bloom. And it's because there's a small creek that runs through this. This too was first century Israel. We can liken this to post-Messiah Israel because at that time there was a spring of water flowing from those who did bend their knee, from those who had not rejected Messiah. And as you came near that spring, there was life. It started in a place of corporate worship, a place where they went to corporately bow their knee, as we see in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Shavuot came, they were all together in one place and suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it wasn't just a one-time event. This corporate place of bowing the knee became a place of refuge, a place where life flowed. Acts 4, in verse 1, one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money and Peter looked straight at him as did John and Peter said, look at us. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give you in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah of Nazareth. Walk. And it wasn't just Peter and John. Chapter 5 of Acts, in verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded among the people. For this brief time in history, this place of corporate bowing the knee, this place of corporate worship of the Holy One of Israel became a life-giving spring of water, a trickle of life-giving water. It sprang up and the sick and the dying were revived. Though Israel was for the most part a desert that drained life from its people, there was a spring of water, just as Yeshua had said. Let's read it again, John chapter 7. On the last great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. Who believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Yeshua had not yet been glorified. Streams of living water flowed from the disciples and where they were, there was life flowing down from God through the disciples. Well, it's no different in our picture. You see, we went down in the valley and we followed that trickle of water along what we would call just a little bitty trickle like a creek that you could jump over in one little leap. So shallow you could walk across in stones until we got to the source. The source of that trickle, like the temple in Jerusalem for a short while, was a pool of living water. And it was fed by a spring from above. If you look between the rocks, that's water flowing down. The apostles and the other disciples of the first century were the pool of living water. And it was fed by a spirit from above. And there was life. And the result of this was this, Acts chapter 21, verse 20. Brother, you see how many tens of thousands there are among the Jews who have believed? And they're all zealous for the Torah. This small trickle of spirit from above, like the trickle falling down from above in the picture to a pool below, like the Spirit of God flowing on a small group of worshipers in the place of corporate worship, the temple. They were being fed by the Spirit of God, changed the face of the temple and filled it with living water from above and streams flowed from that place to Galatia and Corinth and on and on. Amazing, right? But that's not what God showed me about said Boker. But I'm able to make this analogy because, in fact, there is nothing new under the sun. Put up the next slide. What he showed me was, this is also our country today. This is our city today. We as a country started out of people who came here because they wanted to worship the Holy One of Israel. And for centuries, we were a place of refuge. But today, not so much. Our country, 
is being trampled down. You see, we suffer from the same disease that Israel did in the first century. Our country is a place that's overrun by heathens who worship other gods. It's overrun by people who worship themselves, who are immoral, who take advantage of the widow and devour their homes. A land where the church is like the temple Yeshua found. People going through the motions who are merely doing what their fathers had done. Who when confronted with the truth of Messiah reject that truth and go back to the worship of their fathers. With leaders who treat the body as a business who are wealthy and unconcerned and really have it too good to even want Messiah to return. And if you think the judgment isn't coming soon, you need to wake up and smell the roses because the roses are about to burn. It's time we wake up because somewhere, someone has to be the spring of living water again. A place where the worship is more than song sung during a service. But worship is is a knee bowed, a face on the floor crying out to God, what's your will for my life? And a place where when God speaks, the people say, Hineni, here am I. A place that cries out for the return of the Messiah. I want to put up the next slide. The Lord showed me that Sar Shalom, we corporately should be this pool of living water. We should be a place where we gather and life-giving water flows from above. And as we go out from this place, there should follow wherever we go. There should be living water flowing from here, from us, and it should be that we give that living water to those who bend their knee to drink. But just as it began... In the temple, as we read in Acts chapter 2, in a place of corporate worship, so should it be here. It begins with the people who are hungry for God. It begins here with messages that don't tickle itching ears, that are not afraid to rock the boat, but that tug at our hearts, challenging us to change. It should be a place where song services, where the leader doesn't have to tell people to raise their hands, but the people come in anticipation of life-giving water being poured from above and they're ready to receive. Lord, give me that water. We need the glory and the power and the refreshing of God falling in this place so that we can go away filled with living water so that we can be one of those creeks that float out of this place giving life to all who bend their knee to drink begins with a place with a people who have chosen their path in life and that path is life that hunger for God who aren't too busy for the return of the Messiah who hunger and thirst after righteousness and rewarded with living water from above a place where people walk out from this place witnessing Messiah and all that they do and say so that those who come in contact with them are refreshed. 
If that's what you want, hey, I want to worship with you. If not, and you just want church as usual or a place to eat lunch, see me after service, I'll give you the name of some places like that are stuck in the world's rut. I'll even give you money for lunch. But let me say that God today is asking for a people who realize that now is the time to bend your knee, who will hunger for his return and who will be those streams of living water. And we as a corporate body, we need to be that deep pool where life flows from. Let's be the fountain of living water in the desert that this country and this church has become. Amen.